0: Welcome to Tax Planning Pointers with Baker Newman-Noise. I'm Jean McDevitt-Bullins, and I'm here today with my BNN colleagues, Jim Guarino and Kim Bacora. Hi guys. Hi Jean.
1: Hi Jean.
0: So I want to thank you both for joining me today, and I also want to thank our listeners that we'll be hoping to connect with over the next few weeks. This purpose of this call is really kind of to talk a little bit about where we've been in 2021, where we may have thought we were going to be, and where we actually are, and, and, and how we're looking ahead to the next tax season. So with that, you know, I think I would say that 2021 has been a really complex year for all of us in this profession and, and our clients certainly as well. We've seen a lot of talk and a lot of draft proposals coming out of Washington known as the Build Back Better Act. And um, back in September, we thought we had a pretty big substantial change coming down the pike. But lo and behold, over the last couple of months, we've seen that there really hasn't been a lot of traction on that. There have been multiple revisions along the way, however, um, and who knows whether we might expect something by Christmas time. But the reality is that there's just a couple of provisions in that in that bill that we want to take a few minutes to talk about um, because they are pretty big game changers, and we at least think that folks should have a have an eye to those should they change um, change the rules that we're operating in. And really the big ones revolve around retirement planning concepts and, and, and Roth uh, plans in particular. So with that in mind, um, I'm going to kick it over to Kim, just to maybe, you know, a few high points about where she sees that the Roth rules changing very significantly, and we can just pass it around.
2: Thank you, Jean. Yeah, they, Ross, um, the Roth, the Roth rules are expected, well, they're anticipated, how about, well proposed to change quite a bit. Uh, whether that goes through or not, we will see. And I think that's a big hot topic right now with clients to try to figure out if they should be rolling over their Roth by year end or not. Um, and I know Jim has uh, worked on this a lot with his clients recently. But, you know, in in summary, what they're anticipating is that backdoor Roth options would no longer be allowed after December 31st, 2021. And that's really for any after-tax or non-deductible contributions to IRAs or retirement plans. And then as of... December 31st, 2031, they're expecting any other kind of Roth rollovers to no longer be effective. So that would be any uh, pre-tax Roth rollovers, any retirement plans, employer-sponsored plans. So that begs the question of, should I roll over my Roths now? Maybe that's not the income you are expecting to take into 2021, but it is uh, something to consider if you already had that plan in place, maybe you had a, a plan to do your Roth conversions over the next couple of years, maybe you wanna accelerate that into 2021 to to take advantage of that just in case this passes, this would be a, a big change for a lot of people and uh, one tax strategy that, that people have been um, taking advantage of over the past couple of years it, to eliminate that. that, that is something to consider right now. Jim what is your thoughts on that? I know you've been working hard with your clients on that right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um Kim and Jean, just thinking back, you know, I wanted to just touch upon Jean's comment in terms of what 2021 has been for, for us as, as tax practitioners and and tax advisors when when you reflect back on what the president had proposed. Back in the spring and pretty much what what we were planning for and, and we're getting our clients ready to be prepared for uh, coming through the spring and into the summer and, and perhaps even early fall, it was all about increases in tax rates. And perhaps a, a significant reduction to the estate in gifting exemptions, and so we were all preparing for that, right? We were we we're planning to do the the unthinkable, which was accelerate income, and 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 defer expenses, because usually it's just the opposite, right? And and so that was kind of the game plan coming into the fall, and then all of a sudden, that goes by the wayside. And to Gene's to point, we're really looking, in terms of what Congress is considering and debating at the moment, we're, we're looking at a very, very changed landscape in terms of what could be new tax law next year. And, and really, right now, we're not, focusing on higher rates per se. I mean, that at least for the moment seems to be off off the table and, and doing away with a, a reduced uh, exemption for state and gift purposes seems to be on hold. And so really it comes down to the basic blocking and tackling that we would normally be doing at this time of the year. Mm-hmm. And what what seems to be I I'm I'm just thinking back to recent conversations that I've had with clients. Really the the, the hot button topic for them has been, well, hey Jim, you talked to me about doing this Roth conversion thing, right? Well, does it still make sense to me? And if so, what do I need to do and what do I need to know? So really, Kim, I think Roth conversions are, are are still something that need to be contemplated over the next few weeks before the end of the year, and whether or not they are um, completed by clients, um, if in fact they want to utilize a deduction strategy along with that. So really, what it it's kind of a one-two punch, where we're bringing into this year additional taxable income. But we're looking to offset that income by either bunching deductions, whatever those might be, or for the philanthropic, just looking at making uh, larger than normal charitable deductions. And and really, the, the game plan there is utilizing a donor advised fund to make a uh, larger charitable contribution this year, and uh, help to uh, defray the the tax impact of that Roth conversion. Those seem to be the topics that 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 I'm talking to clients about. I'm curious if if either of you have have had anything that has segued into a different direction.
2: <laughs> Everything's been different since the spring, as you mentioned, right? Uh, we were doing projections for capital gains rates increases in the spring to for to help people understand what that impact would be for them. And now all of that is off the table, so we're back to the normal kind of accelerate your income and accelerate your deductions and and defer your income into next year. So. Uh, The bunching of the charitable contribution is important. It's also important to remember that they have extended the 100% of AGI cash contributions through Mm -hmm. 2021, so you have a little Mm -hmm. bit more time to take advantage of that, and that's where uh, I'm seeing people being able to really help their 2021 situation in this uneasy time of not knowing what's coming next. Mm -hmm.
0: I think Kim's point early on, you know, about people who... Already were considering a Roth conversion, right? I mean, I think for those folks, those are the ones that really need to give this the the deeper dive. If that wasn't even on somebody's radar, I can't say that I'd all out of the blue think, "Wow, they should really do a, a Roth conversion," because going forward, they're not going to be able to do it. You know, I right. think that uh, I I, th- I think uh, it's much like it's much like a family gifting. Um, strategy, like if you weren't planning to do gifting for your family before to an ex- to a very significant matter, then manner, then why would you, you know, do it just because the exemption is going away? Let's not let the tax uh, tail wag the dog, you know, so to speak. So, I think these tax moves have to be in line with people's overall, you know, desires for their for their life and for their family's life. But I think for people that uh, perhaps we're considering a Roth conversion and looking at, as Jim points out the charitable deduction opportunities or someone who has a large net operating loss that they could Mm -hmm. utilize, you know, people that do have some of these tax benefits, if you will, sitting there that they can, can take advantage to help soften the blow of the Roth Mm -hmm. conversion.
1: So, well, Gene, you know, one, one of the things at this time of the year, I, I, I like to talk to folks and, and make make it real time, real life situation for them. I tell them they should be doing a financial house cleaning of of, mm. of their affairs at this at this stage. And one of the things that I, I, I try to provoke clients to, to get into a, a mindset of thinking about is having a sense of where they are in terms of the the tax brackets and one of the things that we'll we'll do with folks is is kind of climb the tax rate ladder with them. and And knowing where're, especially at this time of the year, we've we've gone through eleven months of the year. We've got now you know a few weeks left in in two thousand and twenty one. So folks have a pretty good sense in terms of what their income is going to be. and this this recent conversation that I had with a client, it was focused on the the tax rate arbitrage we were trying to keep them to not exceed the 24% tax rate bucket so essentially <clears throat> they had room in their their bucket to fill with Roth conversion income. And in that the key for them was not to jump into the next tax bracket which was significant. They'd be going from the 24 to the 32% tax bracket. Mm. So, we wanted them to pick up income but not too much income, right? So, we we we're, we're going through and we're measuring the the tax impact. And and then there were a couple of the points that came up with regard to why they should be doing a Roth conversion. And it really didn't have a whole lot to do with their tax bracket. It had to do with future planning. And and just to kind of set the stage, <clears throat> both spouses have very large retirement accounts. So when it comes time for them to take their required minimum distributions, th- their RMDs are going to be pretty substantial anyway. Now the SECURE Act changed RMDs from age 70 and a half to age 72. Even though folks are getting that extra one and a half years of of deferral, come age 72, they mandatorily have to begin taking minimum distributions out of their plan. So what I I said to these uh, two folks was, well, at age 72, whether you need the money or not, the government is going to mandate that you begin taking distributions out of your plan. To the extent that you've got money in your Roth, the government will not force you to take that money out, which is, which is giving you more control at age 72 over the amount of money that you absolutely have to pick up in taxable income. And then, so that was point one, giving them more control in their retirement years as to how much money they will be required to take out of their retirement plan. But secondly, I said, you know, there was uh, this thing called uh, the SECURE Act. And what that did a few years ago was change the payout schedule for your beneficiaries. So, if a non spouse, and I'm generalizing here, but if a non spouse inherits a retirement account, they have 10 years to take that money out. And so what I suggested to them was you don't know where your beneficiaries are going to be, what tax bracket your beneficiaries are going to be in the year that they have to take that money out of the plan, assuming that they inherit this money. If you pay the tax dollars now by doing a Roth conversion, you've essentially made a tax-free gift to your beneficiaries Mm -hmm. when they need to begin taking this money out after the two of you pass on. That's not a bad deal. And so really what I was trying to do for them was to give them somewhat quasi non-tax reasons for for doing a Roth conversion. And I think that's really where folks like us can can add value for our clients. It it it, it's giving them educated choices to decide what may make sense for them to do today or tomorrow so that they can kind of dictate their their future. And and I think that's really the value add for for what we do to Contribute to our relationship with our clients. I just mm-hmm. forgive me for going on. I just, you know, that was something that just happened recently, and and it had less to do with taxes and more about planning for their their future uh, children and grandchildren. And I thought it might be appropriate for folks who who are listening to the to the podcast.
0: Well, I, th- I think that's that's great, Jim. I mean, and I think that example just highlights how important it is for for people to be having these conversations with us or other advisors or all together at at one table because everyone's circumstances are so unique. And to say that one tax planning tool or technique can ever possibly fit the needs of everybody is obviously an impossibility. But even to get to the nuances of like, you know, well, what class of people does this really apply to? Even that is really challenging because in my head where I went was, right, so you have a taxpayer with a, a, a sizable large estate and a state that's, you know, likely subject to um, federal and state estate tax down the road. Uh, to your point, if they can do the conversion, they pay the income tax on it. That, Reduces their estate, Mm. and and Mm. they're passing on this asset to their beneficiaries, on which the income tax has already been paid. It's like a it's like a double benefit Mm -hmm. at at the very least, a double benefit. So, you know, but that same tool or same technique might not benefit somebody else in a lower lower asset bracket. So. It's it's uh, it's really good. I've had a lot of great conversations of late with clients and I tried to honestly, I used to go into conversations trying to have a pretty firm agenda. These days, I just I want to keep it pretty loose because, yeah, right. Kim, what do you think? I mean, aren't those the best conversations?
2: I think it's true. I, I, I think it's really hard to know where the conversation is going to go. And having the conversations um, with the clients, it takes us places that I think are good places to go in the whole conversation and come up with strategies that work for them because all of this legislation that may or may not pass we don't want to make decisions based on the panic of what happens if this passes. We want to make decisions based on the client situation mm-hmm. and their long-term plans, like you mentioned, Jean, with the estate and what they have going on in their lives. And everybody looks so differently. So, yeah, I don't really have set agendas either these days. I just go into it knowing enough about the client to, to figure out where they want to go in the future, what their strategies and, and, and goals are, and we work backwards from there, but it's mm-hmm. not worth uh, trying to plan so much around this legislation like that may not pass by the end of the year and all mm-hmm. of that. Um, you know, Just don't plan based on the panic of what may happen. Let's mm-hmm. worry about that when it actually happens and let's work on what's going to be comfortable for the client long-term. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely.
0: What other things are you guys seeing? Um, obviously we we talked a bit about the charitable giving piece. Jim, you know touched on that relative to the Roth um, and the hundred percent. Anything else on the charitable giving piece that we should maybe focus on on today?
2: I would say just to remember that QCDs are out there, the qualified charitable distributions. So that's always a strategy should be considered if you're already giving significantly to charity and you have the RMDs. That's a really good way to reduce that income and still give to the charities that you're looking to give to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I, I've had more and more clients doing, uh, you know, transfers of their uh, appreciated <laughs> long-term <laughs> securities to donor-advised funds. I just think those are just. And the size of the donor advice funds must be immense these days because they've just become just, I think, exponentially popular with people and the flexibility that they, that they offer is, is really great. I think juxtaposing that with the QCD that QCD from IRAs that Kim just mentioned. Just be careful because you you can't do a, a contribution from the the QCD to a donor advised fund. So just be careful mm-hmm. with that one. Mm-hmm. We don't want to get our charitable gifting mixed up and disallowed by yeah. by any means. But Jim, other thoughts on on some charitable gifting strategies here to employ at your end?
1: Yeah, yeah, Gene. Um, again, going back to a, a conversation that I had with. Uh, an older couple, they they have in their portfolio some really, really low basis securities. I guess stock that these folks are, are in their early 80s, I guess it's uh, stock that they acquired years and years ago with a very low basis and huge, huge appreciation. And, and their question to me was, well, geez, Jim, you know, uh, aren't these good candidates, these stocks, aren't these good candidates for gifting purposes? And I said, well, yes, (laughs) but think about this. What's the dividend on those stocks? Mm. Because even though you're, you're giving up the the gain recognition by not selling those stocks and, and donating them directly to the charity, I said, remember, you're removing those stocks from your portfolio. Now, I don't know what you're living on and what your cash flow is. But if these stocks, even though they've got this huge appreciated position, if you are relying on the dividend income for your cash flow, to uh, get, you know, basically meet your annual budget of, of spending. If all of a sudden these stocks are removed from the portfolio, that's that much less dividend income that you're going to have for cash flow purposes. So you, you, you want to be sure that you take, all facets of a tax decision into mind. And Gene, you said it early, you never want the tax tail to wag the, the, the investment dog or the financial dog, and here's a perfect situation where you think that you're doing something really smart by, by avoiding this gain recognition and using these securities to, uh, to make your charitable gifting. But in reality now, you've given up uh, a portion of your cash flow. So what I what I said to these folks was take a look at these securities. If they're primarily growth securities where there's just not much of a dividend payout, yeah, it makes it makes a, a great decision to uh, use these stocks as your as your charitable gifting. But if these securities are given a pretty healthy cash flow in the form of a dividend, you may want to reconsider you know keeping those securities in your portfolio and giving up something that really you're not relying on for for cash flow. So again, you know you just said it gene, there's there's just so many nuances. That go into uh, tax-related decisions. You, you really have to have a, a, a feel for the entire landscape, from from both an income tax and a state tax, and and really a financial planning point of view as well.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's absolutely right. Um, before we uh, kind of wrap up here, I, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't give my um, usual plug for. Remember that we have a very high federal gift and estate tax exemption, currently at 11.7 million dollars per person, um, and that that is slated to be scaled back drastically to somewhere around the six million dollar mark. Um, under current legislation as of January 1, 2026 and in the Build back better act proposed or in in various draft forms this year um, there was uh, there was a provision to actually make that effective January 1, 2022 mm-hmm. that wasn't in the most recent version of that of the proposal but you never know what might be snuck in at the last minute and so just to bring us back full circle to the roth conversation if there is a a move that you were planning on that you have been talking about, that you've been thinking about. And, and now right this minute, I'm talking about the family gifting element, you know, large family gift that you might want to consider that you've been considering. You might have a more thorough conversation about that with your advisors, because um, we really don't know when that might disappear. Mm -hmm. And if it's something that you know you want to do, you know, there might be some value in, in, in doing that sooner rather than, than later. Before I kind of close this out, Jim, Kim, anything further you'd like to add on that point?
2: No, I think that's a great point, Jean. It's really all about the long term strategies. We've certainly seen people taking advantage of the gifting just in case something happens um, in the future with that exemption amount. So it's a good conversation to have now if you're saying, oh, well, within the next whatever five years, I'm going to think about gifting strategies for my children. Well, maybe you accelerate that too, to make sure that you can take advantage of the current exemption amounts.
1: Yeah, agree, agreed 100%. And, and the only other smaller component would be the what I refer to as the use it or lose it consideration, which is everyone has a $15,000 per year, per person opportunity to make gifts. And again, that's not something that Uh, accumulates. So before the end of the year, if you're looking maybe not to make larger wholesale uh, gifting, but if you're looking to make smaller gifts, um, you are allowed to do $15,000 per person per year. And if you're thinking about funding uh, a child's education account, you can do a, a massive lump sum gift contribution to a 529 plan and and make a gift as, as large as $75,000, which re- represents five years at $15,000 per year of a lump sum gift into the 529 plan. So those are the two things that I always like to give folks a, a last minute opportunity to take advantage of, because once the clock tolls at uh, midnight on December 31st, that $15,000 per person is is gone and you've given up an opportunity to to get some short-term gifting out of the way.
2: And that goes to 16,000 in 2022, so that's mm-hmm. a increase that people should be aware of. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, Jim Kim. Thank you so much for joining me today, and thank you for such a really, really great discussion. I know we kept it brief today, but we want to to uh, bring some highlights to our clients and 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 spur our clients to to give us a call and and let us um, help you have a a further more developed conversation on on some of these topics as as it as it meets your needs. So, Jim Kim, thanks so much. Oh,
1: thank you. Thank, thank you, you Jim. It's a pleasure.
0: Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and I hope you found this episode helpful. Stay tuned for more tax planning pointers as we move forward. See you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Baker Newman Noise. The information contained in this episode is based on data available as of the date of its release. BNN is under no obligation to update this information as changes occur. BNN podcasts, events, and publications are intended to provide general information to our clients and friends. It does not constitute accounting, tax, or legal advice, nor is it intended to convey a thorough treatment of the subject matter. The information in this podcast may or may not apply to your individual situation. Consult a tax professional for help applying these concepts to your personal circumstances. Please contact Baker Newman-Noise for additional assistance at info at
2: bnncpa.com. More information can be found online at bnncpa.com.